What you have to invest in is there's nothing more magnificent, sexy, amazing, worthwhile, worth all the sacrifices, everything, than a shared experience. So the shared experience is what the game of love is about. It's about the ups and downs. It's about the time where the person has the flu, terrible diarrhea, where you're laughing at a comedian until snot shoots out of your face, or, you know, it's like, it's all the amazing things and all of the horrible things. It's being supported, it's providing support, it's laughing, it's crying. It's like an amazing sexy night, a night where it just didn't go off and you have a fight in the middle. It's like all of that shit is what makes up life. And constantly coming back and getting reconnected, reconnected, reconnected. And it's like, man, over time, like you have something that just can't be replaced. What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Relationship Theory. I am here with the love of my life, Lisa Bilyeu, and we are gonna be talking about three things that we found shocking about being in a long-term relationship. These are the things that if you don't get right, your relationship is in trouble, my friends. So here we go. We're each gonna throw, well, I'm gonna throw one out, you're gonna throw two. Yeah, we haven't told each other yet. No, we have not. What we found surprising in our relationship, this is even super exciting, and for people that may not know, we've been together for 20 years, so to give context, all right. If you don't have what I'm about to say on your list, I'm going to be mortified. Ah, So these better overlap, to be honest with you. I'm so curious. Yeah, you ready? All right, yeah. You're going to know the truth of this. I'm the first one, right? Oh, you want to go first? Yeah. All right, do it. What you got? (laughs) Um, All right, so the importance of being selfish. Word. I. You're going to have to tell people what you mean, though. They are going to be very... I will. So I never thought... The importance of being selfish would be one of the most fundamental things that you must have in a relationship. I always thought it was the other way around. Give everything. Do you think being selfish is more important or is it just surprising that selfish is a part of the equation? Ooh, I think it is absolutely the most fundamental thing that you need to do. So it's more important to you. Than what? Than the unity, the coming together, the sharing of uh, an experience, a life of oh, interesting. Making sure the other person is yes. attended to. If I have to, if I have to be forced. Is to. this like a put your mask on before you? Yes, put and somebody? I know you hate yes. it, but it's true. Why would you think oh, I hate I that? That's insanity. I think you're wrong about the relationship, but well, I get the analogy. So here's the thing. Think about me and you in the times where we were probably at our like most head to head. It was, if I have to really think about it, it was when I was really sick. Mm. So my emotions, mm. right? So I wasn't stable. My emotions, my hormones, I had such, for people at home, I had massive gut issues. I just could barely eat. So for a couple of years, I was definitely malnutritioned and um, lack of nutrients and things like that. So when I think about how I showed up in our relationship, I didn't show up as like a happy, like excited, let's do this. And that's just a um, almost analogy of if you don't take care of yourself, right? If you're not looking after yourself, if you're not happy, if you're not driven, have that spark to bring to the relationship, what ends up happening, I think, is looking at our relationship when I was sick was we wouldn't have, we didn't have that interconnectedness. We didn't have that like abundance of taking care of each other and love and joy and happiness. So if you're forcing me, while it's not romantic, I actually do think it is 100% important to be selfish in the sense of taking care of yourself, what makes you happy so that you can show up to be happy in that relationship. 
word. It's interesting. I think we define the importance of selfish slightly differently. So where I thought you were going, which I think is also very important, is you actually need to carve time out for yourself. So not just self-care, but like for sanity's sake, to be in a relationship and not, because to some extent you do become a unit and there is a forfeiture of the sort of self as a solo identity. But I think that, I mean, just at sort of like a basic level, there's stuff you like to do that the other person doesn't like to do. And to maintain sanity for a long period of time, you need to carve out selfish time. That's what I thought you were going. But now, that is what I meant. So that's it's interesting. So then let me say how I interpret. Oh, if, yeah. if I had to put different words <laughs> to what you said, um, I would say you have to be fun to be around. Which is something... You're saying that's what I was saying. I'm saying that's how I interpret that element of a relationship, which I think is very important. And you taught me that, and it was a very powerful lesson about if you're going to share a life, there is some amount of like, this should be really fun. And that each of us has an obligation, not in a horrible way, but each of us has an obligation to like do the work to make sure that you can show up and be fun to be around. Um, And I do mean that though, by being selfish to make yourself happy. So do something that makes yourself happy. Don't care about the other person. Go and do what makes you happy. So me and you, we carve out, like you said, selfish time, right? So in those two hours. Yes. hundred percent. Sorry. I get, no, I get, it's just me. It's all me. I get excited. I've spent time with myself. So when, when I say self-care, I actually don't mean take a bath. If you want, go take a bath. But I just mean do something for you, what you enjoy, because that makes you happy. So then you end up turning up in the relationship, happy to be around and fun to be around. Word. So and I wasn't sure if you want to go on. No, I'm, I'm about that. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. One of the surprising things that I discarded was the need to define terms because it's interesting how you can feel like you're, you can either feel like you're saying different things where you're actually saying the same thing, or you can actually be saying different things and think you're saying the same thing. <laughs> and it causes like a total derailment. And so to sneak one in, uh, I had discarded the idea that defining important terms took me by surprise. Like I didn't realize just how far people can be miscommunicating all the while thinking they're saying the same thing. But anyway, that's a cheeky one. Oh, I love that one though. I have an even better, yes, only because we're limited. (laughs) So the one that I went with was you have to get beyond the T. And- Explain people what the T is. Definitely this will not make sense to anybody who is joining us for the first time. Uh, The biggest argument you and I ever got in which you know because you were there, was over a cup of tea. And I remember really being upset, like really distraught at how you were handling the situation. And you were obviously equally distraught about how I was handling the situation. And I remember as, because we were on our way to a vacation, a very rare at the time vacation, and I actually exited the freeway and got back going back home because I was like, yeah, what's the point? So, and to give a very quick t- context, I wanted a cup of tea before we went on our trip. Yes. You were annoyed that I wanted a cup of tea before we went on our trip. And just from a blanket, that's what we argued about for intensely to the point. We were screaming at each other yes. so much, guys, that literally he turned the car around on the freeway on our way to a vacation. That's how bad the argument got. Very true. So in that moment that I turned around, 
I realize, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like finally that voice in your head is screaming so loud. Like there's something wrong here. There's no way that you're this mad about a cup of tea. And I was so worried that we would miss that opportunity for the weekend that I started running like a thought in my head. Like what am I, I actually am upset. Like I'm not being um, internally inconsistent with if you understood the way that I understood the world, you would feel the same way. It was one of those moments where I'm like, no, 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 this really does make sense, but it isn't about the T. And so realizing that when you're arguing, you're almost never arguing about the thing you're arguing about. You're actually arguing about something else, right? So getting to that thing, which is almost always a base assumption or an insecurity. Like you have a base assumption about the world, right? I believe the world should be this way. In a relationship, people should be this way. Mm -hmm. When you go on vacation that you rarely take, you should get out the door immediately (laughs) so that you can make the most out of the money you spend. Right. You can make the most out of the money that you spend. And for you, it was like, I just want to decompress and have my cup of tea and I love it. And so that was revolutionary in our relationship first of all because now we catch that so fast Mm -hmm. where it's like hey you obviously have a base assumption that's different than mine so we'll even say in an in an argument now usually before it escalates to something that we would call an argument a disagreement where we'll say what's your base assumption or we're at the t like where what is this really about like and we have gotten to the point where we've gotten so good at articulating either the base assumption or just being like, yo, you're making, you're triggering my insecurity around this. And the fact that we can say that out loud because we never weaponize it was a game changer. And that's one that I'll always be like, oh man, I am so glad we came to that relatively early on. Because if we didn't, and that's what I want to kind of emphasize the importance of that, because if we didn't, you end up just keep on arguing about the tea and the next time it's about the coffee and the next time it's about whatever, but you never end up actually figuring out what the problem is. And when you're in a relationship for 20 years, that's what ends up, I think, breaking the camel's back, right? Where it's like... Yeah, you don't get to 20 years if you you, stay at the tea. Yeah, but you don't actually ever understand. You're like, we're always arguing. Like, he doesn't get me or she doesn't get me. Or she is spiteful. Because it, when, like, when I looked at what you were doing through my lens, it seemed so disrespectful. And so, like I said, I was being internally consistent. Like I felt justified in my reaction. Like I was thinking through, nope, it is what she's doing is as crazy as I think it is. Because we were going on vacation. Because I assumed you saw the world the way I did. Mm -hmm. But once you realize the person doesn't see the world the way that you do, they have a different base assumption. Like, so for me, it was all about like, I never take time off work and to optimize vacation in my world, which I had never realized I even had an assumption or rules around it. It was all unconscious. But in my world, if you take a vacation, when you rarely take a vacation and you have very little money and you're spending money on a hotel, like you better call ahead, make sure they'll let you into the room as early as humanly possible, that you time the drive so that you leave, so that you can get there like five minutes before they'll let you in the room so that you're getting the most out of every dollar, right? But I didn't realize that I had this sort of group of assumptions. So now imagine if you did see the world the same way and you're still drinking the tea and now you're just like burning money. What motherfucker? Looking (laughs) over, you know, your tea at me. It was like, I can't believe. That's what you thought, yeah. So the second you realize, oh my God, like 
they just, they have a whole different set of assumptions about what a vacation is and wanting to start relaxed. Suddenly I could see like, yeah, my way actually doesn't make sense. Like I'm so tense about maximizing the vacation that like I can't even relax and have fun. But when it's an automatic program running and you don't realize you're doing it, it all just, and I say this a lot when I'm teaching, people are mistaking an emotion for objective truth. Mm. And (laughs) I just never questioned my emotion. It just seems so real. It seems so self-evidently true that I should be upset about the tea. And so it becomes that death spiral. So how would you then advise people to start um, knocking down those assumptions? Like if we're saying, right, like we didn't expect that that was one of the, one of the most fundamental things for us to be able to have a 20 year relationship. Um, how would you even suggest someone starts with attacking you ready? I, I don't think the world agrees with me on this one. You might, but I don't know. You have to distrust yourself. What do you mean by that? I got this idea from Jordan Peterson and I thought it was brilliant. And he said, when you're thinking about World War II, don't think that you would hide Anne Frank in your attic. Assume that you would be a Nazi guard. And I was like, oh God. But all of a sudden, when you realize that you can be stupid, that you can be blind, that you can be ignorant, manipulated, all of that, then it's like, whoa you start to just look askance at, I feel like this is right, and then now I'll pair it with um, Ray Dalio and his idea in principles. And you know he builds this huge hedge fund only to go broke and like just goes on national TV and calls his shot, ends up being so catastrophically wrong that it destroys his entire business, his reputation, everything. And he realizes I have to start asking myself a fundamental question. I think I'm right, but how do I know I'm right? And so in an argument, I distrust myself. So when I feel right, right, like there is no way, there's nothing she could possibly say, like I've run all the scenarios, there's nothing you could say that will make me realize the error of my ways. Mm -hmm. When I feel like that, I'm at my most distrustful, where I'm like, guaranteed you're missing something. And so because I distrust myself, I open the space for me to say, what's this really about? Mm. What am I really, can I articulate it? Because if I can't put words to it, and my sort of pact with myself that we do with each other is, I'm actually gonna say it out loud to you. I'm angry because, oh, actually I'm angry because you're making me insecure. You're making me feel unloved, unwanted, unpowerful, whatever my shtick is, right? So, and wow, that's interesting. You um, slamming my refrigerator door makes me feel you know, X, Y, Z way. Like, wow, that's so interesting. Now I know why I'm actually annoyed. This isn't about the refrigerator door. This is about something else. And it comes from a very tactical distrust. I'm not crippled by distrust. I love myself. I know I would never be a Nazi guard, but it's like when you operate from a position of, "Mm," like, it's probably best to eye this with, through the lens of, you're probably wrong. At least like run that thought experiment. Mm. Hey, if you were wrong, why would you be wrong? Yeah, I, God, I love that so much. The tricky thing is, or not tricky, but this comes back to partner selection, right? Because you have a partner that wants you to do good. So it's not that I'm like, yeah, you're wrong. And like trying to highlight it because if, if you were in a relationship where someone would do that, I would understand why they would never ask, why am I wrong? Because now, 
everyone's just looking for you to be wrong. It becomes a blame game and that then doesn't solve anything. So I think that's so strong when you're with someone that can also be the voice of reason that you know you can trust and saying if you are right and wrong versus um, not for their own ego, but for the better of the relationship. Homie, preach. That is <laughs> gospel. Gospel. Um, All right, that was two, right? That was two. All right, what's your third? All right. Um, I wasn't quite sure how to frame this, but it was something that I was like, it's almost let go of all expectations. Go on. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to frame it. Mm -hmm. But um, so it's, in fact, two competing ideas. Let go of all expectations and have a couple of really strong ones that you never let go of. So my... Why? So my expectation, for instance, maybe expectation isn't the right word, is... When I marry you, I expect you to never hit me and never cheat on me. Mm -hmm. Those are my expectations that I have on you. I will never let go. You betray either of those, you know I'm out the door. But every other expectation of what a husband should be, what a wife should be, Mm. what type of life you should lead, um, I think can lead people into a life that they actually don't want. So, for instance, I had every expectation that my first year of marriage was going to be the best. Really? Everyone says the first year of marriage is the best. Who says that? What? It's like the Oh, yeah, the honeymoon phase. You're right, you're right, you're right. I take it all back. Clearly. (laughs) Just because for us, for us it so wasn't. wasn't. So, like, I've built this model of the world where, like, who on earth would think that? First year was fucking terrible. Not terrible, but it was hard. Yeah. So, But that was the thing, right? So it's... And then when I think about general expectations, I think it sets people up for... Failure. So when I think about mothers, for instance, there's been, you know, oh, as soon as you have the baby, you're going to love it. It's going to be the apple of your eye. And then the thing that I found is a lot of women have to bond with the child. And it's not that first moment. And so the expectation of it makes them feel shitty, mm-hmm. makes them start to think, am I not a good mother? And the same thing in a marriage is that if you have a certain of ex- expectation of that marriage and it doesn't match it, you start, for me, start to wonder, is he... I didn't think, are you the right person? But it was like, this is supposed to be amazing. Like, if my first year isn't amazing, what the fuck? Like, all these other expectations. And then it becomes almost fearful. So, for me and you, though, our, married, our first year of marriage wasn't the best. It was, in fact, one of the worst. And I think... I think it was the worst year of our marriage, but it's like, it was still... I mean, amazing isn't the right word, but it like right. it, it wasn't was like hardest. we were ever like, God, do we want to keep doing this? Right. But looking back, yes, it yeah. was the hardest year of our marriage. And especially because I gave up so much to move to America. Mm. So there was a lot that came with that that didn't come with you, right? So first year of marriage for me wasn't just being in a relationship and married right. in America. It was I left my family. I have zero friends. I can't drive. I don't have a job. I literally would sit there and wait for you to come home every single day because I had nothing else to do. And so that became, I think, a bad setup for our relationship of me just depending on you to bring home an emotion for me to feel. So it was like... Oh, that's fucking heavy. I don't think you've ever said it like that. Like, I get it. I've always understood that. But that is almost poetic. Hmm. I dig it. Thank you. But I mean, now it's like... It's, it's easy to look back and say that, but it was very hard. Um, if you were in a bad mood, you came home, then I picked up your bad mood. And if you were in a good mood, then I was in a great mood. Mm. Um, but it was very difficult. And having an expectation of what a marriage is, 
um, I just didn't think set me up for success. Um, and then just going into more of our relationship as we were together for longer and longer, me having or having the expectation that I was going to be a wife and a mother and then having to then go, oh, well, I actually don't want children. Like, but the, he expects me to have kids now because we've spoken about kids. And so now that expectation is like almost forcing me to not be who I truly want to be. And so that's why I was like, wow, it's not just a little moment. It really does span our entire relationship. The base and foundation to relationships. Selection matters. So that's where I want to start. Um, talk to me about selection matters, what you mean by that. So <laughs> this is, <laughs> I feel so bad because for a long time it didn't dawn on me how important it was. And I just thought that I was like king shit at relationships. <laughs> um, and then I really started to think about the way that you are in the relationship and how would I be able to um, apply the things that I'm learning from reading books and all of that stuff about how to make a relationship work if you weren't so adept at, um, one, just being good at communicating, two, you're so good at letting things go and realizing how much grace you were giving me in the relationship to make mistakes, to try things that didn't necessarily work or to just be plain young and stupid. I don't remember when it hit me, but I remember how it felt when I was like, wait a second. If I didn't have that, then all of the knowledge and tools and tactics wouldn't go anywhere. If you didn't have a growth mindset as well, then this would really be sort of dead in the water. And it really made me start to reflect on how much of this is actually that I have tools and tactics and how much of this is that I just really chose wisely. Um, and really began to realize you need both for sure. You need the tools, you need the tactics, you need communication, the hard work that you were talking about in the intro, all of that's real, but you really need to pick somebody that has certain sort of objective universal characteristics like um, either already a growth mindset or a willingness to pursue it. I mean, we got together so young and I don't think either, I know neither of us had a growth mindset, um, but we understood very early on that you either grow together or you grow apart. Uh, so we put equal energy into improving. And then there are things that are specific to you. There are certain things you're going to like, not like. Um, the fact that we're not both, you know, just sort of alphas banging our heads together, that we found a nice yin-yang balance like you were talking about. What do you think then about the yin and the yang? Because this is a question that I get asked a lot. Um, people are surprised that we're actually very different. Mm. Um, but sometimes I actually think that being too different can also be detrimental to the relationship. And for me and you, we talk very heavily on values. So when we first got together, talking about the values to our core, because even though we're different in personalities, I actually haven't found that that's been a problem. Well, it, it has, creates it all has of the issues been, in our yeah, marriage, 100%. Right, has, yeah, you're right. But you're absolutely correct about that narrow band of different but not too different. Yeah, where do you think that fine line is? So I think that, that you have personality, uh, what I'll call the combination of inbred traits, just the way that you are, your default orientation. I don't think you've done anything over your life to um, have the, the default personality type that you have, nor do I feel like I've done anything for mine, but the values were added on. So your personality types, I think, are a yin-yang. Your values, though, I think need to mm -hmm. be very similar, deadly similar, because if you really clash on something super important, and we talk about this, it's like when, you, when you're arguing, arguing, and arguing, you may have a base assumption misalignment, and it's like, oh, you think 
things are one way, I think things are another way. But once I understand your base assumption, oh, you think, you know, X, Y, Z. Then it's like, okay, well, it's not a value. Now I understand where you're coming from, that perspective, I can adopt it easily. But if it comes down to, yo, we now understand what the base assumptions are, and I still think you're crazy, because now we're talking about a value, the way things ought to be. And once you get to the way things ought to be, and you have a collision there, so I understand your position, you understand mine, but I think you're crazy and you think I'm crazy, that's where it gets dangerous. You can have some, you will have some. But oh, if you have too many, and you don't know how to navigate or compartmentalize or say, hey, cool, like we'll put that on the back burner, uh, you're gonna have a real problem. Yeah, because I remember when we first met, one of the things that almost everybody universally told me that I knew was like- I know where this goes. You don't normally go after somebody yeah. like that. He's, he's not your he's, type. He's not your type, he's very different. And that was because I was brought up in North London around a Greek and Turkish community. And so that was who I was around. That's who I dated. Mm. Um, but everybody, so when I had said I'd met this guy and you had met my friends for the first time, a lot of people were like, he's so different from you. Like, how, how can you guys relate? So when mm. you even went to my dad and asked for his blessing yeah. um, to marry me and he said no, a big part of his argument was, you guys come from different worlds, yeah. right? You come from America, I come from a very traditional Greek family in England. So our religions are completely, you weren't even christened, I came from a Greek Orthodox background. Mm. And so when I hear people talking about this type of thing, from the surface it may seem, you guys will never last. Right. Like, how are you ever going to agree on things? But I always went back to, but I know who you are. Like your core values as a person, you treat people well, you treated me well, you showed love and respect to my family, you always give me respect, you never try and shut me down. So like, to me, that's what's important. It's not about where you come from or whether you have a same religious background or if you, at least for me, I will right. say, it didn't make a difference. It was like, are you a good person? Are you a good human being? Are you gonna treat me well? So I assessed what my values were and then looked at yours and saw how they aligned well. Mm -hmm. But from the outside, I think people can just look at how you were brought up and that dictates who you are, but I actually don't agree with that. It, it can play out badly, there's no question. Like, so one, uh, in a lot of things in our relationship, one of us is devoid of opinion and the other feels very strongly. So um, I wasn't religious at all. And when we thought we were gonna have kids, you were like, look, our kids are going to be christened in the church. I had to get um, baptized to marry you in a Greek church. So if I had had very strong religious convictions in a different direction, mm. that would have been problematic. But you did in a sense of like, you were saying, I don't believe in God. And here I didn't I believe, was saying... but I wasn't giving anything up in order to get baptized. So it was like all of the traditions and all of that stuff which are wrapped around that, I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. So it was like, yes, I wasn't converting emotionally. I was doing it in order to um, give you what you wanted, to be able to get married in the church and all of that. But it was easy because I didn't feel like I was giving anything up. Like if I had had another, if I was devout in another direction, that might have been a sticking point for me. Mm -hmm. Because then I would have said, okay, well sure, I'll do it to get married, but like I don't want to raise our kids in that religion. I want to raise them in this religion. So I think there are times where you can't BS yourself. Your dad wasn't like barking up the wrong tree. He just didn't understand us well enough to know sort of where we were. Like you weren't actually doggedly religious. And so we sort of found an equilibrium there. We both have a sense of awe. We both know there's something bigger than ourselves. Um, and at this point, neither of us 
sort of think of that in a traditional religious sense. So that was easy to overcome because I didn't have any, um, you know, trappings of religion that I felt like I was turning my back on in order to get baptized. That was easy to overcome. Um, we both wanted to be around our families. So navigating things like that, it was like, of course you're gonna to wanna to be around your family. And you were like, of course I'm gonna to wanna to be around my family. So we would fly back and forth every holiday, even when we were poor and it was like painful and we had to take the world's cheapest flights and do crazy layovers. And we would still go see both families at, at uh, Christmas time. So it was like, there was no argument there. There was no like, you know, why would we do that? And you right. weren't saying, well, we just saw your family at Thanksgiving. Like, mm -hmm. why can't we do Christmas at mine? Like we we saw things so similarly that it just became easy to sort of, from a place of, like you're saying, mutual respect, it was easy to be like, yeah, I get why that would be important to you. So between sort of these, you feel strongly on something and I'm, I don't feel strongly, I feel strongly on something, you don't feel strongly, mm -hmm. or then we shared things where we could give that mutual respect and understanding, it, it's worked out. And the thing that scares me about it is how much of that we didn't really have the knowledge to like put a finger on it when we fell in love. We didn't, but we always said to each other we'd communicate. And from the beginning, I think you have to establish communication with your partner, even when you have to say the hard things, because the amount of things that we've had to communicate and they've been hard. Sure. Um, so that's actually one thing I really want to go deep on. And the other thing I actually want to talk about, just as you'd mentioned it, is not trying to change each other. So at the time, I was I was religious. It wasn't sure. that I was like pushing it on people, but I absolutely believed in God, very, you know, traditional and um, christened, and I really wanted to get married in the Greek church. So when I came to you and I asked you, and I said, hey, I really, like, this is important, so language. Yep. I said, this is important, I want to get married in a Greek church. We had the communication where you said, Okay, because it's important to you, that's fine. But I need you to know this does not make me believe in God. I'm not going to change my belief system. You had articulated all of that right from the beginning. And I didn't try and change you. I didn't try and convince you to believe in God. I didn't try and convince you to join my religion and to believe in it. I was like, okay, if that's who you are, I respect that. Now, if I tried to change that, I think that would have been a very difficult I don't know if we would have been able to last because it would have been a fundamental difference in seeing the world and our beliefs. It's really interesting because you're right, that would have been a really dangerous one to try to change. Um, but I would say that I don't even know who I am without you. And when I think about how young we were when we got together and how much we've shaped each other through reward and punishment, simple as, it's like I would be a very different person. And I like that. Like I don't, I don't have an interest in trying to extract who I would be if I didn't know you any more than I would try to extract myself from the other people who have contributed so meaningfully to my beliefs and to my values. And um, you know, being in a, a, a culture, even that, if that's a company, like all that stuff really shapes you. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the contributions that you've made to who I am. So we, we very much have shaped each but other, I would say with a high degree of intention. But don't you think there's a difference between change or in, an influence? Like I don't know, I've I feel like you, there, there's you. such a, a common um, stigma around saying you don't want to change somebody. And trust me, if you go into a relationship saying, oh, they're like this now, but I'm going to change them, you, you're fucked. You are done. That is going to end in absolute catastrophe. But now I'm going to hold two competing ideas in my head because the other side of that is, yes, that's very true. But as I get into a relationship and go, ooh, 
when you do that, it really like it doesn't sit well with me. That's not something I can be involved in long term. Then you do set out to shape each other. Now, the one agreement that we had in the beginning was, I don't. We don't have a better word for this. Maybe just influence, but it doesn't sound quite truthful. So the word we used was manipulate. I'm going to manipulate you, and we talked about this. I'm going to manipulate you. You're going to manipulate me. The only thing I promise you was I'll never do it without telling you exactly what I'm doing. So it became very easy where it was like, you know, if we wanted a change, like um, you know, be healthier, exercise more. Um, push yourself in business. I was so lazy in the beginning and you were very direct about, hey, you promised me that you were ambitious, you promised me that you were really gonna take a swing at this, um, but you're laying in bed for four and five hours a day. Like You were very clearly encouraging me, pushing me, both on a reward front and on a punishment front. So when I did something that was in alignment with what I had told you I was going to do with my life, that was going to push and propel us forward, you were just beyond encouraging and it was so warm and so lovely. But then if I was being a lazy fuck, like you weren't afraid to be like, yo, what's going on? You didn't make me feel badly about myself, you were never talking down to me, like I don't want people to get the wrong idea, but it is reward and punishment for sure. So, and it's been one of the most amazing guiding forces in our lives. We've got a question. Let's dive in. How would you do with two different sex drives? He wants it multiple times per day. I, sounds familiar. And I'm good <laughs> with twice a week. Sounds familiar. This, this email is from Lisa Billiou. <laughs> this has caused most of the issues in our relationship. Any advice? We're in our early to mid thirties. Well, as you said, we definitely have been down this road mm. in our when we first met. You wanted it all the time, nonstop. If you don't have friction burns, I don't know why you're stopping. <laughs> that that's sort of the moral of my story. It's like we still good, we chafing where we at. So yeah, uh, look, I have deep sympathy for both sides of the equation here because this really is. I mean, it's personality somewhat, but it's also just neurochemistry. Like when you're talking especially about a 20-something guy and your testosterone is off the charts, it's like that is the result. So, um, you know, to, it never, to be angry with either side of the equation just doesn't make sense. It's to fundamentally misunderstand the biology. Um, and this is yet another reason why I'm obsessed with the idea of understanding that you're having a biological experience and that hormones, like you can literally, you could inject a woman with testosterone and she would want sex more. Like whether she wanted to want sex more or not, it would be irrelevant. You hit her with testosterone and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, and her sex drive is gonna go up. You can deplete a man of testosterone and his sex drive will go down. So neither side is trying to be cruel to the other. It's literally a mismatch of hormones. And so, just recognizing that already is huge. So it's like, oh, okay, cool. So this isn't that you don't love me. It isn't even that you're not a sexually attracted to me. This it's is not that, that either one is right or wrong. Very, very important to realize because I think that's where a lot of the friction comes from is feeling like either side is doing something wrong or doing something to hurt you, whatever. Um, and you know, like always, communication is a big part of the, the puzzle. And so talking through that um, and figuring out where you guys come out. So now it's a question of what do you do to actually deal with the situation? So you're talking about it. You have to find out, like, is there also a collision of values, right? So there's the surface level thing of, 
hey, I want sex more than you want sex. And everything is okay if they're both communicating. It's like, this is where I'm at. Okay, cool. But what happens when one of you feels like the other should accommodate? Right, yeah. Or one, yeah, you, you're looking for one person to always come over to the other side. Right. So there's either judgment, you shouldn't want sex as much. Right. You should want sex more. Right. You love me, right? Yeah. Um, I've agreed to only have sex with you, and now you're trying to limit the amount that I can have sex? Right. Shouldn't you want me to want to have sex with you? Right. So that's where the real sort of... Um, the need for self-awareness kicks in where you have to understand that you you don't just have thoughts up here right of i want sex more than you or you want sex more than me it's the and that means conversation that means that you know you are not a, you're not living up to your end of the bargain when we got married i had a subconscious belief that you were going to give me sex as much as i wanted it or let me go let me go have sex with somebody else like if you're comfortable with two times a week and I want two times a day, I'm more than happy to give you the two times a week and then I'll go for all the other times with somebody else. You cool with that? Right? And so that's where when you have this just wildly divergent value set, if you don't get down to that conversation and really talk about it, uh, then it will fester and it becomes a problem and it becomes resentment resentment becomes contempt and contempt is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that predicts divorce with a 95% accuracy rate. All right. So I agree with you. So discussing it, communicating. Yep. Um, I was literally, as you were talking, trying to think back to how we handled it. Um, I think a big part of it was um, there's a part of it that you want to be sexually satisfied. I have zero problems with you going and watching porn. Zero problems. So then it becomes cool um, if I want it twice and you want it twice a day, how much of that is porn? I want to make sure that you're satisfied. Like For me, I know that I'm a little old school and I want to freaking satisfy you. Like I absolutely. But I don't want to satisfy you. You to feel the you have to caveat that? Yes, Sadie, I really do. I really do, babe. So it's, interesting. It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, but I think I do. Because... I'm not even as people that want to backlash can backlash me. Sadly, I do, but I'm going to still say it anyway. I think it's super freaking important. I want to sexually satisfy you. But now I go, for me, forget about even you, right? Forget about how much am I willing to come over to, the th like, if I want it twice a week, and does four times a week feel good because I really want to satisfy you? So now I'm not really doing it for you. I am doing it subconsciously for myself too. Not even subconsciously, I am doing it for myself too. Um, and then where does it spill over when now I just feel like I'm a bit of a rag doll, right? And it's like, I don't want to feel like a rag doll. So I just go, oh, where is that line? And then we sit down and we discuss. I can't remember, so if you can jump in. The thing I do remember very specifically with vacations, because we're always open about communication when we go on vacation. It's like, what are the selfish things you want to do on this vacation? Mm. Don't think about me. What are the things you want to do? And of course, for you, it was like, oh, sex, sex, sex. And hey, did I say sex and sex? Um, and you're very honest. And I'm like, cool, it's your vacation. That's something that you really want. Now, what do I want? And then I list off all the things I want. I want a sunbathe and I want sex. I want a cuddle and I want some sex. I want some good food and I want some... Right? And so now it's like, cool, how do we put everything together and how do we both get what we want and that's the thing we're always looking to compromise it's never a no 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 you have to come over here and if not then 
this or this will happen and vice versa it's okay you want it twice a day how do i come over to your side how do we compromise um but it's not a either you give it to me twice a day or i'm going to look somewhere else because that just that wouldn't fly with me um so yeah man this is a really interesting topic you brought up something that um i find utterly fascinating so this idea of you know, called me old fashioned, but I want to sexually satisfy you. I will say if you're in a committed, loving relationship and you're not thinking about what your partner wants, that is, that is a, a horseman of the apocalypse. Like that is so wildly problematic. Now that does not mean that just because your partner wants something that you give it to them, but right. to not consider what your partner wants. So first of all, let's, let's back in, get to my base assumptions, right? Otherwise people will not understand my stance. So base assumption number one, the neurochemistry of orgasm is as close to um, the neurochemical cocktail that breaks depression as anything they've been able to find. So when they look at all the studies of like, okay, if um, SSRIs or, you know, whatever, 3% effective, it's literally criminal how low their efficacy rate is. And there are placebos that outperform SSRIs. Now, SSRIs, if it helps you, oh my God, thank God they exist. Zero beef with them whatsoever. But when they look at the neurochemical cocktail that they're really like, if we could just get people, it's the neurochemistry of right after an orgasm. And nature has given us this thing that just dumps these bonding chemicals into the brain from orgasm. So you have an animal that isn't monogamous or polygynous by nature. We are able to go back and forth. So the size of the testicles on the male tell you how um, much monogamy is a part of that animal. And we are right in the middle. There are some that like you can barely understand how they walk because their testicles are so large because they have to produce so much semen because they are having sex with everything that moves. And then you have ones that are like peanuts because they have total control. They mate with, you know, they may have exclusive access. So you, if you look at like a silverback gorilla, tiny testicles because they come in, they fuck up all the other males. They're like, it's only me. There's no sperm competition. Okay. It's, it is fat. You're having a biological experience. It is so fascinating. Now, human males right in the middle, which means, hey, we can adopt to monogamy or we can um, be polygynous. So it is, we can sort of go back and forth, which is exactly the sort of weird problem that we live in, which is, eh, I'm not really pushed in either direction. I have, I love bonding and I get all of that, but hey, new females is also exciting. And so we're in this sort of weird land and beginning to understand, okay, Base assumption number one is that neurochemical cocktail of sex is incredibly potent. So one of the things that marriage counselors will often ask at the very beginning is how often are you having sex? Mm. Not how often do you feel like having sex? <laughs> how often are you actually having sex? Because the neurochemistry will bond you. Then it's like, where is the sort of satisfaction level, right? Because just like... I had always said to you in our marriage, I never, ever want to have sex if you're doing it for me. If you recognize, hey, for the marriage, for the neurochemistry, I'm going to go through the process of getting into an excited state, right? So there are things that 
work for you where we have to sort of warm you up and rev you up and get you to the point where you're actually now in the mood. So it's like, okay, well, let's do those things, right? And so that became part of the compromise of I don't want to do it if we can't get you interested in the idea. And just for clarity, we're not even just, we're not talking about actual foreplay. We're actually talking about, I want to go for dinner with you. I want to switch off our phones and just talk. I want to cuddle. Like all of that is the rev up for me. Yes. Which isn't just a rev up for you. Obviously talking now at a stereotype level, there's going to be differences, but stereotypes become stereotypes because there's enough meat there. Um, that's true for a lot of women. So, um, of course, Sting made a comment one time that sex lasted for eight hours, and people thought he literally meant that he had sex for eight hours. And he was like, that's not what I was saying. What I was saying is that for the woman, she needs to feel that deep sense of connection, that they're engaged with each other, and that the foreplay could be going to the store and shopping, but I'm paying attention to her, and I want to know what she wants, and I'm fully engaged and present. And that that's a big part of the lead-in for her to feel receptive. And like just recognizing that, to me, is so important. And it's like you, you cannot bring two people together. And I have often wondered if this would be easier in um, gay couples. If, there is, if that would actually be easier. I haven't looked at the literature to know. Would it be easier for me to be with another man who is more likely from just a neurochemical standpoint, from a hormonal standpoint, to have a a more similar sex drive and to view sex the way that I view sex, right? Which is I want to go from zero to punchline immediately. That's why we have to make that movie, babe. Which, uh, you're talking about (laughs) the, okay, you're not, you're being coy about it. Um, It is utterly fascinating to me that you're taking at least in a a heterosexual couple and hetero means different so you're taking these things that are different and you're bringing them together to cohabitate to live their lives to to for you to be the sole sexual outlet that i have barring solo time and trying to make it work that's another thing so I don't know if this is derailing the conversation or not derailing the conversation, but I remember when I was younger, growing up and hearing other people and, you know, in my um, late teens, early 20s, where so many people were against their partners looking at porn. And it meant that they didn't find them attractive. And I, I, I was always confused about that because I was like, but for me, again, just for me, if I'm with my partner and he wants more sexual pleasure than I really want to give, why do I have a problem with them going off and looking at porn? Like, to me, it's like, okay, I wouldn't want, if I have a need, and let's say I'm trying to think of a very quick need that you can't fulfill, but if I have a need that you can't fulfill, but you're like, oh, hey, but go over here, and you can get it over here with no damage to our marriage, to our relationship, I encourage that. So me and you were very open about... Basically, when you're watching porn, it's like, okay, have fun, babe. You know, and it's funny, like, I get, I'm get, i getting a little embarrassed in saying that out loud. I don't know why. But it's true. Like, so many people, I don't know if they have that open communication. But that was huge because now there's no, like, the idea for me breaks my heart of someone having to sneak off and do that in private. 
where you have a need you feel but you don't want to tell your partner because maybe they're going to take it as you know a, a dent on them or like maybe you're going to in- trigger their insecurities so you have to do it in secret and now you know me and you talk about just secrets we have zero secrets even to the point where sometimes it was like i said to you yeah close the door and then realized the next day like oh shit i lied to him that i didn't actually close the door <laughs> i'll like come and tell you like babe you know yesterday i said to close the door i'm so sorry i actually didn't um i don't even know why i said i did like things like that because it just like we want to always have so much openness mm. and transparency so that when something happens, I'm like, oh, well, he's already proven over 20 years he's going to be honest with me. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt right. over here. But like with that sort of thing, it's not just the porn itself, right? It's the hiding. It's the once you have to hide something, now you start to feel like it's taboo and it's bad. And like, I never wanted you to feel like looking at porn was going to be a bad thing. It's like if you're having fun, go for it. Um and that has now opened the communication between me and you. It hasn't built up a wall. It hasn't given us this um, thing between us that um, maybe one, you know, that could be seen as bad versus good. Right. Yeah, I think that's super important is finding there's a lot of judgment around. Um, and this is like floating in the, the sort of cultural sphere. But a lot of judgment around, oh, you know, he wants it all the time and he's just a dog or whatever. And so that does like, I don't know, that doesn't feel good. Um, And then women getting pressured by a guy to have sex when they don't want is also super shitty. And so being able to, the, the thing that we settled on, I can't believe we haven't said this yet. The thing that we settled on is I'm never going to be afraid to ask for sex and you should never be afraid to say no. And that was where we came to. Don't make me feel bad for wanting it. And I will ever, and I will never make you feel bad for not wanting it. And so that has been a great dance. And I don't understand people though that have a judgment where it's like, let's say that you want sex at a time where I am not in the mood, which believe it or not has actually happened. And in those times, I'm like, yo, if you want to 100%, like I'm down for it. Um, it's not where my head is at right now for whatever reason, but like I'm totally game. That doesn't feel weird to me. It's like I, I trust you implicitly so I don't feel there's no sense of danger to you know, putting myself in a sexual situation, even though like my head isn't necessarily there and it'll take me a minute to rev up. But like, you know, I want to be there for you and the deep sense of comfort and trust that we have over 20 years. It's like, you know, it's, um, you shouldn't have sex if you can't talk about it. And so it's like to not be able to, to say like, I'm, I'm so in this and you've earned my trust and I love being with you. And I understand the, um, the way that the hormonal cascade works enough that, Hey, unless something really rough is going on, in which case I would say, look, I'm way too stressed or something sad. Like I can't imagine being sad and trying to have sex. Um, but it's like it, if you touch it enough, I'll be ready. You know what I mean? So it's like there, there are ways to make this get going. Oh, we're in a, well, at least me, I'm not that easy. No, of um, course. Radically, <laughs> radically different no, things. No, but, but. It's, it's good to know, though, those things, right? Because it's like I know. And then in that moment, I'm like, okay, bless him. I know that I can get him there. But if, he does, if he's tired, it's like, you know, so then we can talk about it and then address it. 
I just don't think people should feel weird bringing it up. And I don't think people should feel weird saying yes when it's yes to, I love this person and just want to see them smile. And it's not yes, like I'm super in the mood right now. And I don't think people should feel bad when the answer is no. And I'm just not there. And right, like, like you take it a dent on you. Like, yeah. oh, they're no longer attracted to me. Yeah, like... And that was actually one thing. Do you remember fairly recently? I can't remember what happened. It might have been like Valentine. I can't remember. But um, I said to you, actually, I was like, because you, I think I went to make a move, and you're like, oh, I'm actually not in the mood right now. And I was like, oh, I just want to make sure that you feel sat, you know, sexually satisfied because our sex has changed over the last few years. And I remember you just looked at me like, I'm no longer that 24-year-old 20, you know, guy that you met. And in that moment, I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. But that's why we still keep talking about it. Because if I hadn't have said anything to you, if I didn't ask, if, I don't, if we don't constantly ask, constantly check in... If I was insecure, I may have thought it was about me, right? Like, if you're watching, still watching porn, but you want less sex with me, oh, am I less attractive? Do you not like me now? Right, like, I could, for sure, the freaking Lisa's negative voice will keep going. I will say, though, that would be concerning in a relationship for me. If the person is watching porn and saying no to sex with a spouse, it doesn't, I, I would just say, if your goal is to have a long and healthy marriage, you want to change that ratio. Like, I was saying, let's say, 90% of the time before was sex and 10% was porn. And mm. now you've just reduced how much sex you want to have. So now it's gone down to 60-40. I wouldn't think of that as being, like, imagine the whole pie has shrunk. It's interesting. That's a danger sign for me. Interesting. I would say that if, if, if the ratio, like, if you want to achieve orgasm four times a week... I'm making these numbers up and your partner wants to achieve orgasm two times a week, mm -hmm. then the two times you want to make sure that you're doing those together. Correct. Like the porn should only be the surplus in my opinion. So that would be, I would say in a relationship, you want to be real careful that porn doesn't become the, the priority. And then the surplus goes that to your spouse. That wasn't what I was saying, but I, think I hear why you thought that um I was just saying so for instance let's say <laughs> this is getting really weird but let's say you want to orgasm four times yeah and Lisa's only available two times a week yep right but like there are days where she, I'm tired and it goes down to one week yep okay but you still want four do you still want two no I've gone down to one okay that's what I'm saying so now you watch more porn yep but we have sex less yep but it's but that's because one of the people desires because less. Because we've yeah, I just want to yes. be clear about so that. So we've communicated the changes, and then we adjust accordingly. Word. So never comparing where we are now to when we first met, making sure that when talking about it, so that neither of us feel insecure if something has changed, mm. and that we are communicating so we know it's not about the other person. Maybe it's me that's changing, and then also I do think about the fact that. Making sure that you're talking about the change over time, about yep. your sex drives, so that when things change, you don't think it's about you. Um, because I, yeah, I would have thought, well, hang on a minute, he wanted it, you know, four times a day before. Now he barely asks me, is he just not attracted to me? And you said earlier, the comment was. So even though you don't want it, the fact that I'm not coming oh, to you, yeah. that's what you were trying to get yeah. at? Yeah. Interesting. All right, that's some weird shit. So you're saying, even though I 
This is so interesting. <laughs> Even though he wanted it two times a day and I only wanted it two times a week, the fact that now he... And by the way, I didn't I think I wanted it more than two times a week. You did. You're met. the one that said the numbers, <laughs> not me, homie. This woman's numbers. Um, so even though, just sticking with those numbers because yeah. we've been using them the whole time. So even though he wanted it twice a day and I only wanted it twice a week and now I only want it once a week and he's you know down to four times a week that there's actually something that I don't like about the fact that he's not asking for it more. It's so not it, even that I don't like it. It's uh -huh. just that, oh, hang on, this is something that's changed. So can I, I put a phrase to it? Yeah. That it made you feel desired. And even though you didn't want to have sex, you like being desired. Yeah. Perfect. That's exactly it. That is very transparent, very powerful. What a gift for people to understand that kind of thing about. And this, this to me is a human experience. It's like, I don't want to have sex, but I want you to want me. It's weird, but if it's real. It's so funny, you're right. It, like, as you said, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. But <laughs> I haven't actually said those words to you. Yeah. I actually totally get that. And you probably have said things like that to me. And that feels so in keeping with the human condition. And this is why I think people struggle with sex, with all kinds of other things. People want contradictory things that even though they don't want to have sex, they do want to be asked. It's like, I don't, 99 times out of 100, if somebody invites me to go do something, I don't want to do it. But I still want to be invited. So it's ridiculous. <laughs> why? Why do I want to be invited? It actually creates like an awkwardness. But if no one ever invited me, even though I don't want to go out, it would suck. It's so, humans are weird. Yes. They're weird. And so that's a really keen insight that could lead people to be very surprised and frustrated that, wait, you only want it once a week, but you're upset, not the right word, but it's making me feel like I've done something wrong. That I'm not asking for more. It's not that it's making me feel something wrong. It's like you said. No, it's, you it's, would I make me to... feel like oh, right. something was wrong. Right. That I've done something wrong. Oh, Even though right. that's not your intention. Oh, you're right. So it gets into this weird, like, knock-on effect of, like, no, no, that's not what you're trying to say, but that's how I'm taking it. But your thing is actually weird and contradictory. That's contradic so true, yes. I would be like, oh, well, you don't want it. And you're like, oh, well, shit. Like, should, should I be right. asking? Like, I'm, I'm, what am I doing wrong? So true, babe. And that's how arguments begin. Yeah. Really? But that's actually 100% why I asked you. Because I think part of me was like, I wanted to check in to make sure it was your sex drive that was changing. Mm. And, and not your attractiveness. And not my, yes, making sure that I'm, and when we say attractiveness, I, I personally don't think just physicality, it's our connection. Like, am I, oh, mm. no, you don't agree. No, I think that's very interesting. That isn't what I would have said, because remember... Guys don't need to feel connected to have sex. Guys need to have sex to feel loved. Women need to feel loved to have sex. And once people understand that, so many of the problems go away. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy connection. But I promise you, connection is not required for an erection or orgasm. Right. So it just makes it better. And I think that's very confusing to a lot of women. Mm-hmm. All right, we tapping out on that one. I mean, we that got going, interesting that for me. One, I know. That was fucking interesting. Yeah. That that is that was some shit right there. Did I, we, I hope that. we answered the woman's question. I think we did. I mean, we gave all the tools that we use, and just to recap, the most profound tool that we lean on the most is 
I'm never going to feel bad asking for sex, and you should never, ever feel bad for saying no. And as long as you never make me feel guilty for asking, I'm certainly not going to make you feel guilty for saying no. And that way you never, because what would end up happening is you'd miss an opportunity where you were sort of unexpectedly interested, but didn't want to have to make the move. And I was worried that maybe you wouldn't be, and so I just didn't. And so now we're both frustrated. So I thought, that's dumb. I'm just going to always ask. And, but it's, in, in proposing sex, it's always, even after 20 years together, there's always a little bit of like, oh, I might get rejected. And so it can be very easy to, in the early days of the relationship, get into a pattern of being overly afraid of being rejected. And so that just becomes your pattern of, well, I never ask unless it's obvious. And since I want it more than she does, you basically have to make the move all the time. Right? And so that's just a, a bad dynamic to be in. So anyway, that was where we settled on it. Which I love. And then one more thing actually to add is we do this now so automatically because we've been together for so long. But I think that it could be useful for people to sit down and say, all right, you know what we should do? Just to always make sure we're on the same page. Every three months, we'll sit down and we should go over. Like, I want to know where you are. Are you satisfied? How are you feeling? And maybe, and I wouldn't even just do that about sex. I would probably do it like about multiple things in the relationship. This sounds horrible. Um, but think about it we do do it we just don't put it in the schedule or the book but we do and here's the thing I think it's hard when couples are first starting out and they haven't been together as long as we have Mm -hmm. made to bring these subjects up how do we actually do it though I mean, usually it's sadly stems from a fight, and then we end up figuring things out. And That's then we interesting. That's come up true. With a tra- strategy, and then not we where I was the going. Strategy, and then we ref- uh, refine the strategy. So I would say, four or five times a year, we will do something very fun. I'm so curious to oh see God. if you've ever like put it in your head that this is like one of those times where we have used this to such good impact. So um, when we go on vacation. Uh, take it away but that's what i'm saying basically yeah but you made it sound like a business thing that we do quarterly and that we're gonna and now we're gonna go through all the things that we've struggled with over the last three months that's why i said it sounded horrible to me sure okay so you do it in a fun way we have a book of questions we ask each other certain questions one of my personal favorites is what did i used to do for you that i don't do for you anymore that you wish i did that allows me to... And we get, like, this totally rad vibe. It's so much fun. Oh, like we, we sit there, we have alcohol, we have yes. yummy food. It's like a whole event. Yes. And, by the way, we rank questions based on their level of danger. Yes. So, what are questions that'll just be fun? We start and there. Then, yeah. And then questions get... Like, these ones could end in an argument. So be very careful bringing these up. Make sure you haven't had up. too much to drink Yeah, well. make sure you're in a good place, that everybody's guard is down... But that, but I still think there's something for us to do there. But that's what I mean. Yes, I do too. But we've got, we've got a strategy. Like, oh, now we go on hot. Obviously, we don't, since we've been in COVID. But we have a strategy. We don't feel bad. We know, we both know. We both sit down. We both do it. I'm saying if you haven't gotten there yet, find a fun way of, right, you don't want to work, but... But maybe do it as a date thing. Like, all right, we're going to order our favorite food. Mm. We're going to sit down. I've, now got, you're I've talking. got some surprise questions yes, for you. You've got yes, some surprise yes. questions for me. We should have a um, exit strategy in case one something starts getting yep. dangerous. Yep. So whether it's like a little flag, I've got love a little chips. coin that says love on yeah, it, buddy. which means that you give it to the other one in those moments of danger. But having a strategy like that where you know you're going to be sitting with them every three months, every six months, whatever, so that it doesn't end up 
five years down the line and you haven't had that conversation because it's too uncomfortable. That shit happens, babe. Oh, yeah. So making sure you have these pillars ahead of time. So there's no surprise. And not yeah. waiting for a problem to arise, but doing it hopefully before the problem does. This is from Anne Mormon. Could you guys talk about texting in a relationship? I want my boyfriend to text me more. And when I don't hear from him, I feel very insecure, lonely, and neglected. He has a busy job during the day while I'm stuck at home most days trying to recover from an illness. We spend a lot of good quality time together during the week if he's not busy, but I can't shake the feeling that I really would like and appreciate it if he texts me more. I've mentioned this before to him that at a minimum, I'd like it if he texts me good morning, an update on his day and good night. He said it was stupid and that he didn't have any time or energy to worry about small details like not informing me where he was or who texted who first. I feel like I initiate the majority of the texts and it upsets me. I also see his other social media accounts during the day and I find myself thinking, why can't he send me a simple good morning text if he has time to post a story on other social media platforms. What can I do for myself to change my mindset around this? How do I broach this subject again without being shot or feeling like I am in the wrong or too stupid and needy? And do you guys have any guidelines for texting in a relationship? Well, uh, it is always, always, always possible that the person writing in is framing their behavior in a way that is not accurate. But I will say, as framed here, <clears throat> the person who is refusing to send the text and is saying that's stupid is making a critical error of judgment. <clears throat> First of all, she's saying in a very articulate way exactly what she's looking for. She has not been vague and not said like, I need enough text during the day to feel good about myself. She said, I would like you to say good morning. I would like you to give me one update and I would like you to say good night. That's fucking rad. The person is telling you exactly what they need to be satisfied. Like, talk about keys to the kingdom. Also, <clears throat> as framed in the question, that's not unreasonable. Well, what Unless if... she's saying she needs it broken into chapter and verse, like the update has to be, you know, six pages long. Right. But I don't see any of that evident in the question. What if what? Oh, I was going to say, I totally agree with you what you're saying, but there also needs to be leeway. So, for instance, when you travel, I don't hear from you. You won't say good morning. Like I do most of the time. But, but, but here's the thing. I get it. So you do when you try. Hold on, crazy town. Yeah. Are you saying that I never? No, no, no. You do. But like it's, there'll be like, you, let's say you're gone for four days. Yeah. Two of the days we may have, we may text each other right at the, like at night when you're like, babe, I'm going to bed. Um, I, well, I almost always text oh, you something in the morning. The fun, sure. I mean, bless you. You're well, being defensive. This is, this is 100% because it, it makes me think that, that what's happening here is exactly that. So that if one person like there's a discrepancy between I guess expectation oh, and reality. Yeah. So for me I feel like I always try to make sure that you because I'm often uh, because we live on the west coast I'm often somewhere ahead of you which mm -hmm. means I'm waking up before you. Mm -hmm. And I would say 80% of the time you wake up to a lovely text message. Yeah. So the way that you were presenting it just now, I felt like I was being robbed of my uh, due I credit. 80, I mean, I guess, I mean, look, I, because it doesn't bother me, I'm not really paying attention. But when I think like of days where you've gone and for multiple days, I'll go up to the room and I'll like get ready for bed. I'm like, oh, we haven't even texted each other all day. But I'm busy too, so I don't hold it against you. Um, but it's interesting you're getting defensive over that. Because I, I really try to make an okay, effort to make sure fair. that you wake up to a text message. 
after that, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, But so when somebody yeah. is working to make sure that the other person has something, and the other person's like, "What? Oh, you you send me text messages?" Uh, But yeah, I mean, I don't. If it doesn't bother you, then we're a okay.、Um, and then I guess I just don't need to worry about texting you first thing in the morning. Huh? Now you said it, I'll be like. <laughs> so it's interesting that it's something that I haven't really paid too much attention to.、Um, so I really will now because if you make an actual effort, like that's a bit shitty on my part for not like. I wouldn't say it's shitty. If no, you... but not shitty, but like I, everyone wants to be appreciated. So、yeah. if you're making an effort to text me in the morning, I should show appreciation. Like I'm saying it for myself.、Um, so in my head, it was like. You text me sometimes. You text me sometimes. Literally, we'll go all day, and I'll text you, and I won't hear from you. I'll text you again. I won't hear from you. I'll text you again. I won't hear from you. But I know that you're super busy, so I don't think about it.、Um, I forgot. Like this, we kind of got derailed. Well, so she's saying basically that she has made a very simple request. Oh, in my opinion. right. So sorry, that's what I was going to say. So what if? Um, sometimes he doesn't. How does she then respond to that? Like, does he ever like try for a couple of days and then he doesn't, and that's when she gets annoyed? And he's just like, "Oh my god, I just didn't do it for one day, and now you're upset." Or is it really like you said, how she painted it here, where she's like, "Hey, this is what I would love," and he's like, "No, that's stupid." Well, if someone's saying that's stupid right off the bat, like, they clearly don't、um, aren't respecting. Your wishes, like, and it doesn't mean that he has to say yes. I want to also make that abundantly clear because he may have a career and a job that doesn't allow that. And so for him, he may be seeing it as you don't support me. Like, look, I'm really busy. I'm working really hard, and my social media is part of my business, right? Like, I don't know the situation.、Sure. So they have, I'd like a little bit of clarification there. But I guess、um, the point is, is that you're right. If you're trying to reach out and say to somebody, hey, this is what I like. And there's no negotiation, then you know, and you're saying you're stupid, then it, it doesn't show much respect, and that would really hurt me. Like I would be like, huh? I've tried to be really understanding. I've tried to be articulate with him. I've even tried to explain. Look, I'm really sick, because that's what happens sometimes with me, right? Like if I'm feeling emotional and I'm in bed, I'll recognize it and say, look, I'm I'm in bed. I'm feeling really shitty. If I text you, please do respond. Like being that open, and then you'll reciprocate and be like, "Of course, babe, like 100." But I also don't abuse that request either from you.、Um, so yeah, it really has to be both. Like, is she being really reasonable? It seems like you said it really does seem like she is.、Um, but how is he responding? And are is she giving?、Um, what's the word?、Um, is she willing to?、Uh, the words dropped from my head. Negotiate. There you go. So maybe it's like, all right, look, mornings are really tough for me. I'm always really busy in the morning. When I wake up, I get into my morning routine, and texting you isn't one of them. It's like, okay, maybe I can live without a text in the morning. But if you don't mind, it'd be lovely to hear from you. And the reason why is because I'm really, you know, I'm feeling alone, and right now I'm really struggling. It'd be great if I felt like supported by you. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if part of what's going on is he feels guilty about not texting, and more than he's unwilling to do it. He doesn't want her to feel like it's owed to her because then he has to feel bad about all the times that he hasn't done it or he forgets.、Mm. And I remember at the beginning of our relationship, I would often our arguments would center around you, me doing something, you feeling some kind of way about it, and then me trying to convince you not to feel that you shouldn't feel that、But. way about it, which then basically makes you feel invalidated, which then escalates like the whole argument. And then 
once I realized, actually, this is about me feeling guilty, I would just start saying, wow, I'm so sorry. I feel really badly about that. And I don't, I really don't want to feel badly about this. So I'd like to come up with some solution. One, I would like the forgiveness for having done it. So I don't have to beat myself up over it. And then two, like, let's put a plan in place. Like, how do I go about doing it so that, you know, we're meeting your needs and getting that kind of breakdown is, is pretty great. So being able to process through that, figuring out why he's responding the way that he's responding, because at least as painted here, it's, it's a very unhelpful response to be beyond generous. And also, you were always so very honest with me about, um, look, when I'm at work, you know, you explain to me the situation. I'm with a bunch of guys. We're in business. I'm going hard. I want to, you know, perform at my absolute best. So I'm not thinking about my wife at home. And you were very honest with me. You're like, look, that's got nothing to do with you, babe. I love you so much. But when I'm at work, I'm in a different mode. There are different chemicals pumping in my body. I do not want to be romantic. I do not want to be texting you lovey-dovey text messages because I'm in a very intense, masculine, grind environment. And so having you explain that to me actually was really helpful for me to say, okay, like I get it, but what if I do need to get in contact with you? How do we handle that? Because you just ignoring me, like what if I really do need you? And that's where we came up with a three call rule that you're going to ignore, ignore the first two phone calls that I make, but on the third one, you'll answer it no matter who you're with. And so things like that, I, I started to understand where you were coming from instead of just seeing it from my perspective. Because at the time I was a stay-at-home wife. So I didn't feel like I had much of a life. So everything I did revolved around you. You know, cooking you food and making meals and all of this. So when I felt like, oh, I'm reaching out to you and now you're not responding, I did feel alone and I did feel like I'm a bit lost. But once you really did explain to me everything, I was like, okay, look, you have to see it from his perspective because he's going out and he's having a tough day do, too. So as much as I like to think, oh, but I'm, a, I'm alone and woe is me, he also is out there working hard, busting his ass, and I need to respect that. And it doesn't mean I have to just like give up everything I want. I just have to respect it, and then we come together and find that happy medium where we're both happy on both sides. Although, in fact, now I'm just kind of talking on the tangent here. Um, in fact, only today, like 10 minutes before I came to set, we were texting back and forth and you text me back K. And that was one, like, it may have been silly, but that was one thing that I said to you. Like, I don't like you just responding K in, as, a, as in OK. Right. Because it's just like, what, you, you don't even have the time for the O? And it may be silly and it may be um, pathetic and... Um, minor but it really bothered me and so I just said to you babe like please if you if you don't mind like you text all of your work colleagues and everyone you text all of them K I want the O so since and so today funny you text me K and you're like oh shit sorry I actually meant okay I know you don't like that and we had that discussion you know like it was like 10 years ago we had that discussion literally yeah as i'm apologizing for that someone else texts me okay really yeah i was like that is hysterical <laughs> that's amazing but i said that to you like 10 years ago and even to this day you still respect that and it doesn't mean that you're not going to slip up but you still immediately caught yourself and you went oh sorry babe mm. so, yeah. yeah trying to give your partner what they want when you can i think is pretty important yeah my partner and I are in a rough spot in our relationship and I would really appreciate some help, please. 
We've been together for two and a half years and have both been developing a growth mindset for the last year. We love each other, but I fear that we are both at a breaking point. We've been having extensive arguments that last six hours or more on and off for the last two years that start from a myriad of things and it's beginning to feel like we can seriously fight over anything. And once we start, there's no guarantee that it won't get ugly. For the last four months, I've been feeling increasingly impatient and when we argue, I get defeatist, catastrophize very quickly and put up an emotional shield so I stop responding to him. He has said that in this moment he feels like I don't care and is feeling anxious about when I might suddenly switch into one of those modes and has no way of bringing me back once it happens. This isn't who I am or want to be. I'm usually very affectionate and he has said that this has made him feel that when I am affectionate he's skeptical and it feels it's just for show. We recently had our first overnight fight and I told him I've been feeling rejected for the last three days. He mentioned breaking up and I spent hours saying that I was wrong and let's work on us. We eventually agreed that we would try to make it work and I'll be in the doghouse while I work to earn back his trust. But if I fail, we will be done. He said he will feel uncomfortable if I touch him and doesn't want to be in my presence and has left our apartment. If you would kindly offer some advice in this situation, I would be so grateful. Wow. Wow. You and I use the analogy of you can't let dust settle in a relationship because of this very reason. Because right now they're at the point where they're always just shy of redlining. So they constantly like snap over into just an all out fight. Um, and so they're really going to have to do some emotional spring cleaning. Sorry, I couldn't help myself, but like, that's essentially what we have to do. So the reason that we talk about not letting the dust settle is because any one speck of dust is not a problem. So any one, um, you know, they say something, it rubs you a little bit the wrong way, but ah, is it re- am I really going to make a big deal out of that? No, I'm not. I'm going to let it slide. And then I'm going to let the next one slide and the next one slide and the next one. And then all of a sudden you're freaking out over what seems like nothing. But in reality, it's been these little things that have been building, 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 and you haven't taken the time to address them. So that's where, what brought that metaphor to mind of you know, it, you have to like constantly clean because if you've ever been in a house where, you know, people haven't dusted for years, it's like, it's horrifying. And the moment you go to clean it, it like kicks up this plume of dust. And so every time they go to talk about it now, they have to deal with that first like kick up of the plume where it's, you know, the six hours, it's overnight, it's let's break up because they're just so fucking pissed and they haven't taken the time to address the underlying issue. Now I'm going to guess that we have some, there's probably some collisions of values in here somewhere. There's something where they're arguing about the T. They're at the surface level and they're not getting all the way down to what they value in life and why these things rub them the wrong way and bother them. And they also probably don't have rules and Um, what I'll call beliefs and values in the relationship because neither of them are making the other person feel like they're number one. And then they also don't have strategies. Like for instance, if she knows, okay, I tend to get pissed and once I get pissed, I stay pissed, which was my exact problem. But I worked on coming up with strategies that were based on what I was reading about the brain and understanding human behavior. And so I wrote myself the letter. We've talked about this many times. But assume people haven't heard. Right. So I wrote. So here's the big problem in an argument. The person really 
does sometimes something that you're justified in being angry about. And the fact that you're justified to be angry is exactly what causes the problem. Because you're not going to look back on it and be glad you were angry. You, you will always be glad you articulated when something upset you. You'll always be glad when you guys are able to really talk it out and be respectful and hear each other out and lower your defenses and open yourself up. Um, you're always going to be glad you did that. You're never going to deal with something in a calm, rational, compassionate, loving way and be like, I really wish that I just fucking freaked out. No one ever thinks that. <laughs> but every time you freak out, you're going to be like, uh, it's not me. All the things she's saying, like, I don't think of myself like this. I'm actually very affectionate. But you're not getting yourself to that place. And so if you've shown over and over that you're not getting yourself to that place, you need a new strategy. You need a tactic. And this is where people think that love is like some mythical thing and it's going to cure all. And if it was really love, I wouldn't have to work at it. That's total bullshit. And dealing with another human, no matter how much love you have for them, no matter how much excitement you have for them. And by the way, relationships are like shifting sands. It's like, it's always moving. What part, what moment in the relationship are we in? Is it that initial sort of hot, intense love, or is this now maturing into something and dealing with those shifting sands of feeling differently about the person? If you're not able to put strategies and things in place to navigate that, you're going to be in trouble. So she needs a strategy. She needs some rules. She needs to identify her values and all of that going into this so that she can say, regardless of whether or not I am justified in being pissed off, who do I want to be in this moment? How do I want to act? What is going to make me proud of me? And then making sure that she has tools and techniques and bright lines, quite frankly, rules, um, going into these discussions so that they don't spiral out of control. And That's when you wrote the letter to yourself. Yeah. So thank you to bring it back to that. <laughs> um, so that was my technique was I knew who, who I wanted to be in that moment, which was somebody who was emotionally resilient, meaning I didn't just fly off the handle or get upset that I could in real time change my neurochemistry, not hold on to that I've got some right to be pissed off as if that was a fun place for me to be and recognize that I believed that you loved me. And if I believed, if I really believed that you loved me, then why not extend you the grace of saying she didn't mean to upset me? She may have, and I really may have the right to be pissed, but she didn't mean to. So why now am I going to punish her for something she didn't mean to do? And so like when I think about, how, so the letter that I wrote was basically saying, part of the reason that I would get upset with you is that you have motive in wanting me to calm down. So I couldn't trust your actions. So my letter was, hey me, it's me. I have no motive to calm you down other than you've never once looked back on this and thought, I'm so glad I stayed pissed off for six hours. So since you know that, that future is very predictable, let's do things right now that will change your neurochemistry. Because the six hours is basically, you're letting the fire burn out and it won't burn forever and eventually it will dissipate and then you see with this totally different perspective. So the letter was, hey me, it's me. You know she loves you, and you know that if you force yourself to laugh out loud right now, it will change your neurochemistry so much, you'll be able to stop being angry, to open yourself up, to be vulnerable, to explain yourself in a calm way that where you want her to win. All of those feelings are going to flood back. And once you're approaching a discussion from, I want you to win, and you want me to win, 
which means we both want to really be understood and we want, we want the other person to be understood. And that now I'm going to confess where I have gone wrong and you're not going to use it against me and you're going to confess where you've gone wrong and I'm not going to use it against you. And both of us are looking for not where the other person went wrong, but where like, oh wow, I can actually really see that. So you and I were having a discussion not too long ago and I said, you actually have legitimate grievances. I've been really working a lot. And because I'm working a lot, you're not getting the time and attention that you need right now. And that's legitimate. And if I come at you like, fuck, this is just another thing for me to deal with. Like, give me some slack. Like, cut me a break. Give me the space I need to fucking get through this. Then you're going to put your walls up. You're going to be defensive. And we're just going to go at each other. Mm -hmm. But if we both want the other person to win, then I'm going to confess. I actually can see why you would be upset. And, but... I really do love you and I really do want you to win. So let me explain why we're here. I'm feeling overwhelmed. There's a lot of things coming at me and I want to get to that place where I can, you know, give you what you need. I can deliver on that. I really do want that. And then you're from your perspective doing the same thing. Like, whoa, I actually didn't think of that. I was in my own perspective. Here's my perspective. Here's why I'm feeling this. But it's like there's a generosity of framing, I think is the easiest way to say it, where it's like I'm going to frame where you're at in the most generous way. Like, I bet it's really hard what you're going through. And having you say that... Like once, the, if the other person understands, right? Not just like, I don't understand why you're freaking out or why you feel like this. What do you mean? I'm busy, I'm building a business. Like that conversation would have been completely different if that's how you had approached it. Um, but coming to like, I actually understand why you feel like that, but let me, let, let's talk about how, why and why we're here. And maybe even sometimes we may not be able to change it for a few weeks or a month based on like what our life is like. But to be able to have that discussion and have you listen and us be on that same page of like, I understand why you're feeling like this versus like, you're, why are you feeling like this? It's not a, like accusatory. Um, it just allows me to go like, take a deep breath and go, yeah, you know, this is the life we chose. And right now it's a difficult time. We are very busy, but it is needed. And as long as he kind of gets that it is difficult for me, like there's that appreciation behind it that then allows you to go, okay, like I, we can't keep going down this path, but it may take us two or three weeks because of things that we've got going on. And versus if we'd come at it a very different way, you're saying, why are you feeling like that? What are you talking about? My defenses would have gone up immediately. And then I think I would have then been, I wouldn't have been as flexible. I'd been like, okay, but no, things have to change. Like I can kind of know how I would work. Right. But the fact that you approached it like that allowed us to say, okay, well, let's just put together a three week or a month plan on how we're going to evolve into this next stage. Um, yeah. And if these guys are going to have any hope of getting past it, one, they've got to really want to. And I think they have to be really honest with themselves about, is this the relationship that's worth fighting for? And I think it was, um, oh man, why am I blanking on his name? Michael Gervais, Michael Gervais, he and his wife went through early in their relationship. Mm -hmm. um, he and his wife went through this moment where they, they were about to get divorced. And the therapist asked his wife, is this the relationship you want to fight for? Because some relationship at some point, you're, you're going to have to fight and Works do all the things. Yeah. Right. And so is this the one? Right. And that's when she was like, yeah, this is the one. And so then they, they process through it. It wasn't 
she didn't have to say like, oh, we're not in a dark place. It was just, do you want to work for it or not? And that's what they have to ask themselves because it isn't going to be easy. They've got to know this is, this is the one I want to fight for. And if it is, then, okay, cool. I'll walk through a couple things that they can do. But if it's not, then it's time to be honest about that and not waste time because it, they're in this weird dark place now where it sounds like it's starting to damage them both. It's damaging her sense of who she is because she can't stop herself from fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's damaging his sense of like safety and security because he doesn't trust her motives. He thinks that she's just putting on a front of affection. He's worried that she's going to like click over. And it's like if she knows that really is true because some part of her knows this is not the person I want to be with, then they've got to own that. Mm-hmm. And for each other's sake, and you know, it's never easy, but far better to move on and begin to heal than to just stay in dysfunction. Okay, assuming that they decide that this is the relationship that they want to fight for, one of the biggest things they're going to have to be able to do is truly let go. And this is something that I think a lot of people can't do. So when you start doing the spring cleaning and it kicks up all this dust and you're you're really talking about it, you're really addressing it. And so it's like you're raw, you're vulnerable, you're reliving some of the like hurts and frustrations and all that and you have to bring them up and process through them. In that moment, if you don't let it go, the dust just comes right back down. So you like stirred it up but it it just lays back down. It's not actually being removed. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of people, they can't let go. Like they so feel a sense of justice that this person has wronged me and unless they atone for their wronging, unless they are punished in some way for what they have done, I can never move forward. Let me tell you, that's not going to work. So if your significant other needs to be punished in some way, and this is like where infidelity gets so tricky because you, you immediately break up unless you can actually let it go. And I heard this story and, and it was like meant as a joke, but it was so heartbreaking to me And they were saying, um, my grandmother has Alzheimer's, but she still goes after my grandfather for the time that he cheated on her 60 years ago. And they're like, she has no memory, but she remembers that. Like, fuck, what, like, really think about that for a second. The, The person is losing their sense of identity. They don't remember their loved ones or who they are, but they know how much they're upset about this betrayal because they've gone over it and over it and over it so many times holding on to the sense of injustice and not being able to let it go that it is so hardwired that even though plaque is building up in their fucking brain and that if you put them in an fMRI scanner it would be nothing but literal holes of function but they've placed that betrayal in so many different places that it's still fucking there as the brain erodes from the inside so many people live there they just can't let shit go that is heartbreaking for me for that person, yeah. not for anybody else. Yeah. So number one, for them to move forward, they both have to be able to forgive and actually just let it entirely and go. I think if you can't, like be honest with yourself, like don't be up yourself up about the fact that you can't let go of it. But if you can't, then I think that you would need to break up because if you truly can't, you're only, it's, you're only gonna hold on to it and it will come out, even if you don't mean to, right? It will come out in the little things you do. Sometimes it'll be like a snide comment when you're just tired or sometimes they'll let you down and you'll start to think about it. So for their own sake, 
if you can't genuinely move on, then break up. And I remember when, and I've told this story before, but when the the worst, probably one of the worst times of my life, um, I, I said, to you, I turned around to you and I was like, I need you and you were traveling and you were going through something really tough as well. And it was like, I think probably the worst time of both of our lives. And you were about to travel and I was like, I need you to stay and I never ask you ever, right? Have I ever asked you to no, that's the one trip. time this happened yeah. that's the one time i ever asked and i used the word important which is our code word so we have a code word that means you have to drop everything and that was our code word and mm. i used the code word and everything and you just looked at me and you said but it's important for me to go and this is fundamental to who i am as a human being and so now we're at a place where we both said the word important we both kind of need a needing something in that situation and I remember you saying that to me and, you know, obviously I was very upset. And I just remember thinking, this is one of those moments, Lisa, that you have to let go of because you can never hold it over his head that he didn't stay. And you need to understand why he didn't. And then being able to un, un, um, peel, peel it and see that, okay, I was actually, it wasn't about asking you to stay for me. It was about asking you to do something that wasn't... Um, fundamental to what you pride yourself on and that as a wife I couldn't ask you to do that so that was easy not easy but that allowed me to go okay I get why you have to go mm. I'm still upset and I have to be able to tell you that I'm upset and that right now it still stings but I also understand I can never hold this against you ever in my life and I never did like it doesn't even in repeating the story I don't have the emotion of the hurt that I did when it first happened right but um, I don't think I give you enough credit for that like, you really haven't, A, held it against me, and B, like, you self-soothed. I didn't talk you through that. No, you like, didn't, yeah. Like, I told you... And I think that was actually important, though, because if you self... If you talked me through it, I think I'd be holding to your words instead of really of coming to the conclusion by myself. Yeah? Yeah, that actually just hit totally. me. It's true. Doing the work myself and figuring out how to navigate, I think, actually helped set mm. us up for success because now it's not just well he said right. it's like no Lisa you know in your gut and in your heart that if you had asked him to stay and you put your quote unquote foot down it's like asking you to be somebody that isn't you and yeah. how would I feel if you had asked that of me and if you had said even though you know this isn't who you are and this actually goes against your identity I still want you to do it I think that that would be hard for me to be like well, okay he doesn't actually then understand me right. because asking someone to do that I think is um yeah understanding I mean and there's lots of tactics and tools that we've um, mentioned in the past that we can also keep talking about but um the writing your the letter to yourself oh in fact for the people who are watching for the first time and hearing that story um I read that that letter to you once. And you said to me, um, this is the letter. I need you to read it to me when this happens again. And I remember I read it to you once and that was all it took. Mm. Um, same with, we've got like these little coins um, that say love on them. Because sometimes it really is hard to break that emotional pattern. That was such a good idea, but having them on you. If there was a way though, I really did think that was a rad thing yeah. if you want to finish yeah. explaining yeah so there were, there were these little like stones or coins or whatever and they had love engraved on um, in them and um, what I did is I gave one to you and then one to me 
And I said, all right, in those moments where we're arguing and we both know that like, hey, we love each other, but we can't say the words. Like, we can't say like, all right, let's like stop arguing. Like, because you're in that moment and the right. energy's there, but you know it, but you can't say it. You just pick up the coin and give it to the other person. You don't have to say anything. All it takes is that action. And in that action, we defined what that would mean. Okay, that means I love you. Right now, we're going through something emotional, but we know that we love each other and let's remind each other of that. And so the coin, yeah, I actually really liked it. You're right, is that how you carry it around with you everywhere, especially right. guys don't have handbags. Um, <laughs> but, but it was a good strategy even just have around the house. It's a great strategy, and it comes down to people's ability to make something sacred. Because what those love um, stones, I guess, were they relied on was that I knew if I gave it to you, you would instantly stop being mad no matter what. And if you gave it to me, I would instantly stop being mad. But if you give it to the person and they throw it and they're like, <laughs> I can't believe you're trying to like give that to me now when you've done X, Y, Z. It's like the whole point of the love token was to remind the other person that you love them, that they believe to the core of their being that you love them. And it, it was just another way to like Break state shift. Yeah, to like break out of where you are like at a neurochemical mm -hmm. level and get into a new headspace. And we used a couple different things like that. Oh, another thing we did is the hands up. It's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. So um, we basically understand. Yeah. So <laughs> smiling when you're mad obviously is very difficult to do, mm. but forcing yourself to smile does something to the chemicals. Right. So we said one of us, whoever's in the least annoyed um, mind space, to be the one to like basically when you turn around and you see the other person now imagine you're mad mad as hell mad as hell and you walk into the room and i'm still mad at him and i go baby it's hard to do to it's force hard to do yourself. and it's super vulnerable because if the other person's like knock it the fuck off yeah yeah so you have to reciprocate you may make right. that deal beforehand but it's really worked for us mm. where i'll be pissed we'll be in the middle of an argument and you'll walk in and you put your hands straight up in the air you do the high pitch and you call me baby and then i reciprocate baby it just shifts yeah, like you said instantly. it breaks that conversation now it doesn't mean that you shouldn't address it you have to address what you are arguing about 100% like going back to You don't have to address it necessarily right that right second. Exactly, right. But, but you have to address yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because going back to what you said earlier, you can't let the dust settle. But as but the first step is breaking that emotional tension right. and that stress between the two of you. And we found that doing that has really helped. So little things like that. Massively. Yeah. I am in a loving long-term relationship with an awesome guy. I have some serious issues in regards to trust stemming from being cheated on numerous times before my parents divorcing due to cheating and a previous partnership uh, partners mistrust leading me to believe that I should also mistrust. Finding someone else attractive is bad, the opposite sex is a threat, etc. In the last year, I have done a lot to change this. I have been to therapy and I try to practice CBT now. Nice. I listen to all the podcasts and really try to increase my self-esteem mm. and practice self-compassion. Wow. However, I sometimes really just cannot seem to break my mind out of the anxiety and panic I get when I believe my partner might find someone more attractive than me. My rational mind knows he can and will. However, my irrational mind simply cannot deal and goes into a meltdown. I get into a cycle of thoughts that I am not good enough and he will find anyone and everyone else more attractive and I just can't believe that that's not true. 
My thoughts are so real that sometimes I think he must be lying. Is it so hard to get out of that state of mind? I've done so much work to learn to trust again. Do you have any advice and practical ways as to how I can overcome these feelings? I want to be an awesome, fun, loving, trusting partner and I know the consequences if I don't continue to put in the effort. Wow, that was a really, really thought out, articulate, amazing self-assessment. Yeah, that was pretty dope. I will say that as the Greeks say, (laughs) which means you're on a good path. So I think you're walking the right path. I think it takes time. I think that unwiring all that stuff and rewiring a new habit, a positive way of seeing yourself, that shit takes time. And so continuing to march down the road, having forgiveness and grace when you get in a twist and you have to like calm yourself down, but making sure that you hold yourself to the standard of doing the work. So this is not your partner's problem to solve. You can't turn to them to constantly reaffirm you that gets into like a really disturbing cycle that is not fun for them. Um, Security is not, or insecurity is not sexy. So living in that world where you're being insecure, insecure, insecure all the time, like that's a really good way to shoot the relationship in the face. So you you have to do cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what she meant when she said CBT, um, to interrupt those patterns, to keep working, to make the amount of time that you spend in that negative loop shorter and shorter and shorter. And I would say play the bag of bones game. So the bag of bones game goes like this. We're all gonna be a bag of bones at one point. Like we're gonna be wrinkly and ugly as hell. And if if you, like you've gotta be able to live in that world and understand that the other person will still find youth and beauty attractive. So you're on a one-way collision course with you truly aren't the most attractive person to the person that you're with, objectively. And what you have to invest in is there's nothing more magnificent, sexy, amazing, worthwhile, worth all the sacrifices, everything, than a shared experience. So the shared experience is what the game of love is about. It's about the ups and downs. It's about the time where the person has the flu, terrible diarrhea, where you're laughing at a comedian until snot shoots out of your face. Or, you know, it's like, it's all the amazing things and all of the horrible things. It's being supported. It's providing support. It's laughing. It's crying. It's like an amazing sexy night, a night where it just didn't go off and you have a fight in the middle. It's like all of that shit is what makes up life. And constantly coming back and getting reconnected, reconnected, reconnected. And it's like, man, over time, like you have something that just can't be replaced. And so I think about that all the time. It's like, one, I was, I'm very proud of myself for this realization to let you know that, look, you're beautiful, it's way amazing and I'm going to enjoy your beauty while it lasts, but I want you to know it won't last forever. Mm. And yet I'm going to be attracted to you because I'm going to be so invested in who you are mm. and finding ways to tie like my sexual desire to that so that every phase of our lives together, I'm just as sexually interested in you as I ever was. Just don't fool yourself into thinking that beauty ceases to be like objective beauty. So like I'll never trade a shared experience, like all of that glory for beauty. So it's like beauty's transient. We all get our moment of being young, but it's going to fade. And I don't know, there was just something for me about accepting that, that there's a moment in time. We all get it. It's fun. Make sure you enjoy it for what it is. 
be aware of it while you have it. Like, and that's one thing I would say to her is like, you're never going to be younger than you are today. So it only gets worse from here. <laughs> like in terms of the visual, what she's sort of seeing as sexual attractiveness, because right. she's on the surface. She's just stuck on, he must find other people more attractive. And the answer is yes. The odds of you being the most attractive person on the planet is essentially zero. In fact, it's one in seven, say, whatever seven billion. billion yeah. So let go of that. Right. Don't waste any time and energy on that. Keep unwinding it. Sounds like you're doing the good work. You're putting in the effort. Keep going. It's going to get easier and easier by the day. It is not overnight. So just keep mm. going. And like, I mean, you look at some of the most beautiful women in the world or considered the most beautiful. They've been cheated on a lot of them. You know, you hear, I mean, I can't, I was trying to think of like this, a story, but I, there was an actress, oh God, I can't remember who it was, but she was like so stunning. And well, then, I mean, Elizabeth Hurley and um, Hugh Grant. Perfect example. He cheats yeah, on with her like with a, a prostitute. $15 prostitute or something yeah. crazy so, like that. Right, but that's so important to know that it isn't about the looks ultimately, right? If someone's going to cheat, it's way more than just they've seen someone prettier than you and so they've decided they're going to go. It's way more than that. It's um, They're trying to find fill a hole in their own lives. They've got low self-esteem. All of that has got to do with why someone cheats, I think. So making it about them or making it about like, oh my God, how am I always going to be you know, beautiful so that they don't have eyes for other people is unrealistic. And I had to come to grips with that, especially as Quest was getting bigger and bigger because you were getting a lot of beautiful, stunning influences coming up to you and flirting. And so I had to recognize in that moment that I had to look inwards and look at my own value and start to work on my own confidence and being confident in who I am and what I bring to the table so that if it came up to the point that you ever did cheat on me, I can clearly say, okay, that's about you, not about me. Because the second I then go, oh my God, it's because I'm not pretty. It's because I didn't have a six pack. It's because I didn't have the big boobs. Oh, forget it. I'm, I'm, I've derailed. Like my entire life has gone off tracks and I know that. And I know, so, so I know it's dangerous. Um, and so I was very aware of that, working on my self-esteem, making sure that I felt good about myself. And like you said, it's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take years, I think, of like really feeling it and being like just not affected by it at all. Um, and so another thing that I like when I start to think about all the tricks and tips that I kind of used in certain moments of like low self-confidence we talk about like the sober moments. So when I'm emotionally sober, when I'm not feeling insecure, when I'm not feeling like, you know, um, I'm less than or other people are prettier than me or anything like that. That's when I go, okay, what can I do right now? Can I write myself a note? Can I leave myself a little voice memo? Um, can I do post notes? Like what are the things? Can I write myself a letter? You know, we've, you've written a letter to yourself before. And just say, okay, when I'm feeling down, when I look in the mirror and I say X, Y, and Z to myself, because it's a pattern, it's not going to come, you know, like not going to surprise you. You're going to recognize the signals. So I would say once I start recognizing the once I start recognizing the signals, take the note out, take the voice memo out or whatever and play it. Put it on repeat or get a song that you feel so freaking empowered by and keep playing that song. Put it on your headphones, sing out loud. Like that's what I do. Like I want to make myself feel empowered instead of feeling like I'm the victim or putting myself in an inferior position. My girlfriend still has not adapt, adopted a growth mindset and it is very difficult to cope with it because now that I have a growth mindset, her way of thinking 
is conflicting with mine. How do I know that these are the things that she can potentially change about herself? How can I approach her with this without trying to sound superior? Wow, a couple really interesting things there at the end. So first of all, I love it that he is concerned about um, approaching this in a way that he doesn't sound superior. I think that's really smart and you want to speak in a way that people will actually hear you. And I think that judging your communication by what the other person hears is and the feels. right answer. Yeah, great point. And then not wanting or asking if he's being selfish, I think is a very um, smart thing to ask. Now, I will say that um, yeah, in some way he is being selfish and I think that it's absolutely right to be selfish and I think that if you don't carve out that space and say that these are my non-negotiables, um, you end up in a world of hurt. Mm -hmm. So being honest about where he's at is critical, being honest with himself and her about where he's at, um, talking through in a non-judgmental way about how he views um, being goal-oriented, having a growth mindset, I think uh, all of that. How do you do that? I'm like, going to interrupt you. Yeah, so I think that you would, you have to sit down and say, look, I really want to talk about um, things that are important to each of us and, you know, how we're feeling about each other and where we're at and just open the lines of communication. So I will tell you something about myself and mm -hmm. I would love to hear what's important from your perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times there's a really beautiful surprise that can happen when your goal is sincerely to open the channel of communication and to come into the thing realizing I may be misinterpreting, I may be missing an underlying cause, a pain point or something for her, and that by opening this channel of communication, it may deepen a level of connection and make her feel like so heard and so appreciated and understood and all of that. And when you can go into a moment like that with that openness to be like, I really feel like where I'm at is true and an accurate representation of where she's at as well. And I feel like I have an understanding of, um, you know, her stuckness and all that, but I really could be wrong. And so it is entirely possible when I go into this discussion that I come out with a better understanding or clarity. So I think if you can go into the argument with that, knowing that what you're really driven by is identifying what is true, and then, then we can you know, reassess. But um, so going into it with that, hey, I want to communicate this and being honest with how you feel. So here, here is where I'm at with a growth mindset. It is it is super important to me. It may be my highest value in life is to have a growth mindset. I believe that that's going to lead me to all the things that I want, including a more beautiful relationship with you because I fully take on board that I am not the ideal version of a partner for you, nor am I the ideal version of a partner that will make me proud of myself. So part of this is always going to be my ongoing desire to get better and to better understand you and all that. Now, I'd love to know something that's equally important that carries that weight for you um, or what you think about me having said that, if you have any thoughts about a growth mindset, but it would really be posing you know, something and then sitting back and waiting and being super open to be taken by surprise and being very open that this is probably going to be a very long conversation or series of conversations. And if you love her, then it's obviously worth going through the series of conversations to get to the point where you can understand her. Now, having said all of that, I wouldn't, unless something happened that changed my mind, I wouldn't be backing down on where I stand about a growth mindset or the importance or the need for it to be adopted by the other person, but coming in with an open mind 
not assuming that you know everything about that person, really listening to their response to that, and you know, seeing if they can be honest. So if I say something like, hey, it's really important to me to have a partner that adopts a growth mindset, but obviously it's got to be something that you want for yourself. And so I want to see where you're at with that and you know, what your feelings are around that. And if they're combative, defensive, um, then understand that now the growth mindset, we're just talking about the T. And so you have to get to what's really driving it. And if there's some insecurity, if I'm not being a good partner and I'm not making you feel important to me, if this feels like a conversation about an ultimatum, um, you know, then there's, there's like real danger in that. And look, this is, and we talk about, there are some questions that are dangerous. Like the path that you go down when you ask that question, it is a hard question that can have a very scary answer. The one thing I want to say though is, which your advice is fantastic, but now here's something I want to pose to you. You're talking like she actually has a growth mindset. And here's where the problem lies. And this is where I actually feel part of his pain is when you're trying to talk like that and be like, how can I be there for you? This is what I'm looking for. Let's be open. That's a growth mindset. So what if you're talking to somebody that doesn't have a growth mindset? Now, all the things you're saying, they may respond in a completely different way. Like if you had, if I had a closed mindset, a fixed mindset, and you said to me, um, I, you know, it's important that I'm with someone with a growth mindset. All I hear is I'm not good enough. Yeah, which is really interesting, and and I'm none of this setup assumes she has a growth mindset. Right. So I'm I all the things I'm saying are because I assume she does not have a growth right. mindset. But if you come at it in a combative way and say, look, I have a growth mindset, super important to me, um, and it's really been enriching and empowering in my life, and I love you so much, but you have a shit mindset and you're wasting my time, and I don't see a future, which is what she will hear right. if he says. I have a growth mindset. I'm super worried that you don't. I can only be with somebody that does. Mm. Just setting it up that way mm. is really setting you up for failure. And I think this is one of those times where intention will bleed out in a thousand subtle cues mm. that you can't control. And so if his intention is, I just need her to recognize she has a fixed mindset and you need to subtly get her to understand if she doesn't fix that shit, I'm out of here. So I think he has to change his intention. And even though it is true that at the end of the day, on a long enough timeline, he's not going to be in a relationship with somebody who has a fixed mindset. But the reality is in any relationship, the, the growth is gonna go like this. And there's gonna be times where he's ahead of her, she's ahead of him. And if each of them show grace in those moments and the other person sincerely wants to get better, then you can get on the other side of it. So what I'd be trying to do is walk her through a position where she's really reflecting on her own beliefs and getting to the underlying securities. And quite frankly, I would call out the insecurities. Now, this is all from a position of, I've been through this. I've been through it you know, for years and years and years. I've gone through this with employees and things that have had a fixed mindset and had to help them. And some of it is just, hey, what I, we have to establish are, what are the rules of this relationship? What are the values? What are the things that we as a couple are going to decide that we value together? And once they buy into the value system, and I would say, okay, for me, like, let's think of this like dodgeball and we're picking teams. So value number one, and each of you can veto a value. Okay. And, but like, I'm gonna say, here's my most important value in this relationship, that we both have a growth mindset. Now, if she doesn't veto it, it's like, okay, so now we have that value. What's a value for you? And let's say she says something that I'm like, whoa, I'm really surprised by that, that we, um, 
we never judge each other. Okay, maybe I can get behind that, maybe I can't. So I would ask for clarifying things. What do you mean by judge? Does that mean I can never criticize? Does that mean I can never point out something that might hurt your feelings? And if she's like, yes, I always need to feel support. And anytime you make me feel unsupported, then you'd be violating um, one of the values of this relationship. Then I would say, I veto that. And without this spiraling out of control, because we could sit here about every yeah. conceivable value and why we would or wouldn't do it. But um, that is a quality of outcome, and I have no interest in a quality of outcome. So if you said that we will always make a sincere attempt to uplift the other person and get them to a place where um, you know, they're in a growth mindset, they're emotionally stable, they're able to um, be emotionally resilient in the face of obstacles, helping each other get to that place, yes. Mm -hmm. But that often means pointing out the hard truth, saying the difficult things, um, and so, in fact, a better one, because it would have been just easy to agree with, would have been, um, in this relationship, we always say truth and hear truth. Amazing. I love that value. So now you so, can say truth and the other person can't push back because you're like, hang on, didn't we just agree that we were going to be true, with, honest with each right. other? Right. So now you have these values and they're not always going to be easy. But if they are objectively things that will always feed into the health of the relationship, then you've really got something that's winning. Yeah. So... I think that's super important. And so if you do that and your intent is to be open-minded and to really understand where they're coming from and to get beyond the T and down into the truth of you know, what's being said. And I always wonder how many people are hearing the T for the first know, time. They're yeah. like, what is he yeah, saying? Yeah. Um, but the T, the biggest argument Lisa and I ever got in was over a cup of tea. And of course, what we realized two hours of screaming later. Way longer than two hours, Yeah, I you're think. probably right about that. <laughs> was that it, the argument wasn't about the tea. Nothing it to was do with the tea. about much deeper values and feeling loved yeah. and understood and appreciated and all of that. And so once we got there and literally said, stop, this is not about the tea. What is this really about? Yeah. And started speaking from like that base truth. Yeah. Um, then things got really clear. So if you're really approaching it from that way, and you can lay out what the values are in your relationship, and you both agree to things that make sense for the health of the relationship that are just empirically useful things. We will always communicate. We will always be truthful. We will always be honest. We will be candid and not brutal. It's like, you know, things like that that just they support the healthy fabric of a relationship. Right. Then it's like, okay, and now we need to abide by those things. Yeah. Um, and that's how I'd approach it. Yeah, really, really good advice. And like you said he was very aware and i like the fact that he said um he tried not to sound superior because that will shut down the conversation immediately and in all honesty in certain words that he's using he does sound a little superior which like interesting yeah like for instance hmm. she slacks in the gym and nutrition so yeah. for instance slacks according to who yeah. so right like she may be like i'm pushing myself now he's probably thinking you can push yourself 10 times more, but now it's about, that's judgment, right? right. It's like, you're not doing it enough. So ha where's that fine line of like, giving constructive criticism to them to help them with their lives? Like, babe, you were the one that told me, or I would sit with you, right? And if you're like, hey, I want six pack abs, awesome. And then two weeks later, I see you slacking off of the gym mm. and your nutrition is terrible. I would want, I want to see you succeed. So I would come to you with that approach. Like, babe, I really want to see you succeed. And you were the one that told me you wanted abs. Like, if you want my help, I, I'd love to be able to help. But these are the little things that I can kind of like, and obviously you have to get them to agree. They want your advice first because no one wants to take advice from somebody um, 
no one wants to yeah take advice my advice. my whole thing there is detach it from the other person and if somebody came to me with that kind of thing i would just be like what's your goal right Exa exactly then it's not about me exactly. like it your goal is to you know compete in the right. miss olympia competition right. you're slacking yeah not based on my subjective exactly. metrics what you're doing exactly. will not take you to the olympia therefore you are slacking Therefore, you are doing by definition something that something Isn't wrong because quote, I quote. define wrong, right or wrong, quite frankly, is things that are right move you towards your goals, things that are wrong move you away from your goals. So once it's about something else that the other person values, they want self-stated, it's you know, their world, it's not about like I want you to be hotter, I want you to look better in booty right, shorts. Right, right, right. Um, which by the way, I also it's interesting, I wouldn't lie about it. But I also am very careful not to let myself invest too much in that because one, I think that that physicality is so transient and two, um, there is no question that if I flipped the switch and said I no longer care about the business and what I care about is my physique, um, that I would have a much better physique for you. And there is no question, like this is to me, it is, is just objective. It would be more fun to be with me sexually. It would be more fun to see me naked. It would be more impressive. I just don't think that's false. Like that yeah. just seems sort of obvious. Yeah. So it's like, right. okay, but what do you... But I don't value that in... As much, as right? Much. It's not that you don't value it. I know Rex. because I've had six pack abs and I've walked around with it and I know like it would turn you on. And I would get sometimes like super random so sex. Cal yeah, because you were like, woo. And like, <laughs> and it would just trigger. And then uh, next thing you know, we're naked and having a great time. It was amazing. And I thought, this is so fucking rad. I love being in shape like this, except it takes an inhuman amount of effort. So for me to stay there, the business had to like, it, it went down in right. priority. And right. I mean, to the point where you and my business partners pulled me aside and said, you no longer have a personality. Because you were, your nutrition was so, um, this is my primary focus. And yeah. It was like I, my calories were so low, I didn't have yeah. the energy, all that. But I fucking looked awesome. Right. And quite frankly, it was amazing psychologically. It was amazing. Yeah. And that was a battle as the wife, though, to see you go through that transition where you're like, oh, I've got six-pack abs. Like You'd been talking about it for so long. You put so much work into it. So I was so proud of you and happy for mm. you because you had finally achieved it. And on the other side of it, I'm sitting there going, but he's no fun. Like, I... I loved that you had six-pack abs i was hoping that you would one day get six-pack abs and when you did i saw how miserable you were and how just not fun you were in some ways but miserable in other ways i was like jazz for your sake but <laughs> oh only that way yeah but for me i was just like no i'm not willing to sacrifice this like i don't right. i want my husband and everything we've ever done even with the business before we even started quest i said to you like i'm not willing to lose you over getting money for this tech business that you're working so hard for. Like your personality had completely gone, you were completely miserable. And it's like, yes, I'd love to be wealthy. Who, you know, who wouldn't? But at the same time, I'm not willing to sacrifice my husband. I'm not willing to sacrifice you. And so, um, yeah, that was easy to then make. But the way he kind of worded it, whereas like the, the things that bother me is that she doesn't work hard mm. and her nutrition at the gym. It's like, sh let me tell you, that's going to shut her down faster before you can <clears throat> get the rest of the sentence out. Yeah, people just have to stop bullshitting though. Like if that's the truth, 
then he needs to own it. And if in owning it, it makes him feel gross about himself, well, then he can address it and make the change. And but. also, I think, be honest about why it bothers you, right? Because let's say for me, I was on the path, growth mindset, and it's every day, even now, right? I have to think about, like, I'm sick. Okay, I don't right. want to be the sick person. I have to work through it. I don't, you know, got to be strong. and all. So I'm still working through it. But when, especially at the beginning, you just need people with that same like motivating attitude so that when you're on the cusp of like falling apart, saying no, saying it's not possible, when you're at that stage, it's nice to have someone by you that's like, you've got this, babe, you can fucking do it. Versus someone that's next to you saying, told you it wouldn't work, let's go get a cake and a piece of pie and let's Mm. set, you know, mourn our, you know, our feelings. That's where I think he'd be able to say, be like as I'm trying to go through this transition, as I'm developing a growth mindset, it's important I'm around people like that. And I, see, you know, I would love for us to grow together. It's a way for us to bond. Like, how do you make her feel like she's a part of your growth, your happiness, your um, desires? Because I think that will fuel her more as well. Mm. 